Jacko's a big body, uh, you know, we know he's an elite penalty killer, but now we got to take some of that into his five-on-five play, some some zone time, some heavy forecheck. Uh, we had some shifts out of him that we liked in uh, in the in the road trip, on the road trip, but it's got to be on a consistent basis. No different than everybody else. We're looking for some consistency right now. After he sat out Sunday's game in San Jose, there's no doubt Mark Jankowski has been served a wake-up call and he gets back in the lineup tonight against the Philadelphia Flyers. It's head coach Bill Peters to kick off the program. Jankowski back in after being a healthy scratch in a 3-1 loss a couple nights ago in San Jose. And this is a player very much, I think, coming to a bit of a crossroads when it comes to where he fits on this team. And not just because he was healthy scratch for the first time this season, but we're talking about what has been a pretty mediocre fall going all the way back to the start of training camp. Was not a great preseason. Was already a guy that, you know, you wondered where he fit permanently in this lineup. And at this stage, and I think it's been this way for quite some time, but at this stage, we're not talking about an untouchable player. I know that he's a former first-round pick, and I know that there's still some things to like about what he brings to the table. But for a team needing to clear out cap space, he is a very strong candidate to be moved out if he doesn't solidify a spot in the lineup. And with guys like Dylan Dubé and Alan Quine who have shown that they can play in this league too and have shown that they can be effective within the lineup, even if it hasn't been on a long-term or consistent basis, I think if you're Jankowski, you got to be hearing some footsteps right now. So there are candidates there to replace him. I think organizationally he has not proven to be irreplaceable, and we're not talking about a young player anymore. He's now 25 years old and not a guy that you have to say, well, you know, he's young, you can't be moving him out. I mean, you're now starting to move into a situation where – He's at a little bit of a crossroads. So I'm really curious, Will, to see what he does now. So a message has been sent. He's been sat out as a healthy scratch. He has not played very well to start the year. It has not been a great fall for him, and he's already hearing footsteps behind him. It's it's time for Mark Jankowski to show something, and I'm, I'm really interested to see not just what he shows tonight, but what he shows, period, after, no doubt, bit of a wake-up call after sitting out on Sunday night. Now, of course, as Bill Peters had mentioned this morning, you were in that scrum. There was a handful of candidates to come out of the lineup on Sunday, mm. but it ended up being him. I mean, the whole team wasn't very good Saturday in Vegas. So, yes, they could have taken anybody out of the lineup to shake things up on the second half of a back-to-back. Jankowski was the man who was... Uh, forced to sit and watch. And I, I think, as you've mentioned, it goes all the way back to training camp. He has not been a guy who stood out. I think you and I had this conversation when the roster was named that Tuesday before the regular season at the beginning of the month. And if it weren't for his contract situation, I think you can make a very real case that Alan Quine beat him for a job and just was the you know the victim of a numbers game and as a result was sent down to Stockton for sure. uh, after clearing waivers. So I, I think... You know, Alan Quine is a guy that we will see at some point up with this team. The problem right now and the reason why there is a bit of uh, cushion for Jankowski's job is his contract situation, is the Flames cap situation. So he has that going for him. 
unfortunately, as we've talked about very often, uh, it seems like this season, this is a business. We talked about this with Dylan Dewey going down. It's a business to win hockey games. And if he wasn't one of the 12 best forwards, well, he wasn't going to be here. And he also a victim of the numbers game. So there's no question Mark Jankowski should be feeling footsteps. And as a result, you should see more urgency in his game. And overall, you know, going back to my original point, Patty, to Bill Peters saying there was a handful of guys that could out, could have sat out Sunday in San Jose. The whole bottom half of this roster, especially up front, needs to start pulling their weight. They've got two wins in six games to begin the year. And as Lou laid out in Hockey Central at noon today, uh, the, the Fab Five, or the Core Five, you want to call them that, Backlund, Kachuk, and the top three on that top line, they've got 25 points, I believe it is, combined. The rest of the forward group's got three. So yeah. you need to find production from the rest of your lineup. And right now, this Flames team is not getting that. But there's no question, the biggest spotlight is on the man who wears number 77. And that's and that I think is is because he was healthy scratched and he was a guy that had been um, talked about and pinpointed and there's there's certainly been a lot of discussion about him over the last number of weeks going back to training camp. But I mean the point is a good one when you take a look at the forwards that have scored goals. There are 13 forwards that have played multiple games on this team this year only four of them have scored goals, and all four of them are the usual suspects. It's Lindholm, it's Monaghan, it's Gaudreau, and Kachuk. Those are the only four forwards who have scored goals through six games. And Monaghan's the only center who has goals. Yeah, there's, there's now, and and I think that you've seen some good things over the last couple of games from Michael Backlund, but he did not get off to a, a great start to the season, and certainly your point about the depth on this team, that's that's been their biggest Achilles heel to this point it's six games in there's plenty of time for things to turn around I'm not sitting here trying to ring alarm bells or anything like that but I look at it and when we saw the Flames get to 107 points in the regular season last year when we saw the Flames score 50 or win 50 games last year the biggest reason why they were able to do that was because they were an extremely deep team and they could create matchup problems with a lot of other opponents because they slotted so well up and down the lineup. Well, right now, that's not happening. The only thing that has been consistent has been the top line, and they deserve to have been kept together because they've produced, and they have not always been you know, strong every single night, but they've been the most consistently productive group. Everywhere else has been seemingly in constant flux. Who's been on a line with Backlund and Kachuk, and what does that bottom six forward group look like? Last year, you knew. Last year, because of that line with Derek Ryan, uh, Andrew Mangiapane, and Garnet Hathaway, you started to become very consistent, and you knew exactly how to use your players. Well, there have been some changes, and Tobias Reeder comes in, and he's had some nice stretches for you. Uh, Milan Lucic continues to struggle to find exactly what his role is on this team. Sam Bennett has struggled mightily to start the season. So right now, you're right. Like That bottom six and trying to put those puzzle pieces together and find out what exactly fits has been their biggest struggle. And as it stands right now, I don't know what the best fit is. I can't sit here and tell you what I think the best-looking bottom six combinations are because it has been so inconsistent to start the year. Yeah, and that's super frustrating, I think, for a team who was hoping to build off of last season. Now, I think we all know it's only six games in, and this is a group very much focused on April, but if you're not playing better hockey, you're not going to get to April. So 
Um, there's a lot of focus, but there's no question Mark Jankowski is a guy who's front and center. And as the text line has pointed out, I know the morning show's talked about it. Not, out, not sure how often you and Pinder have bounced it around, Patty, but um, it's no secret that Mark Jankowski's name was out there this summer. I think uh, based on where things were with that trade with the Maple Leafs, I think it's no question he had heard that firsthand, that he was dealt already by this team. How much is weighing on him in that sense? And, and you know, it's it's got to be challenging to come back to give your full effort knowing this team essentially has traded you already once. Yeah, it's it's good point. I think there's something to that. And I think that, you know, it, it's certainly – it can go one of two ways, right? It can go... Well, you don't want to use that as an excuse, but there's no question that that, that certainly does weigh on you at times. I, I think so, and I think in in some instances or, or some personalities, it can serve as a motivating factor that fires you up and, and it raises your game, and, and for in some situations, I think it can be the opposite. Uh, and it's all de- it all depends on the per- type of personality you are or the, the situation that you're in at any given time. No, I think that's, a, that's an absolutely valid point. So uh, it's... Uh, it's a fascinating thing to watch going forward. And, and Bill Peters made the point. I agree. You made the point earlier. It's not like Jankowski's the only one who has struggled in the bottom six. It's just he is one of them that has struggled, and he came out of the lineup. Let's get to the text at 960-960. Um, this reads, for a team purported to be as deep as the Flames are, the bottom six is quite weak. Yes, there are a lot of NHL caliber players, including in the minors, but no real difference makers outside of the top six. I'm not saying they need James Neal back because he never would have done well here in a bottom six role, but they do need more Manjapani types with more upside in the bottom six. Dubé would be a start. Uh, this reads, no offense, Pat, but Bennett and Lucic have been equally as poor as Janko and could both deserve to be healthy scratched. Do you try and trade them you can't put all the blame on Jankowski by no means am I putting the blame on Jankowski I'm just saying he's the interesting figure coming into tonight because he's the one who is healthy scratched and he's already at a crossroads as to where he fits in this organization I by no means am I trying to say that Jankowski's the sole reason why the bottom six has struggled yeah I am completely with that texter I think you can make a very salient argument that Milan Lucic has played poorly enough to be a healthy scratch, and Sam Bennett has played poorly enough to be a healthy scratch. I think you can absolutely make that call. It's just they decide Jankowski, too. Jankowski's the one that has. That's why we're talking about him. Um, what else we got here at 960-960? Mark Jankowski's season so far maybe is a direct reflection of knowing he was already traded once. That cannot be good for a player's morale. For the player's sake, I do hope they trade him. Uh, I will laugh as he develops on another team. That... Uh, to Will's point about what that could do to a player's psyche. I think it's very fair. Uh, I don't know if I'm as worried about him going and dominating elsewhere, but that texter is. And finally, Jankowski needs to keep his feet moving too often this year. He's watching too much and doesn't move until he's two to three strides behind. He really hasn't been putting forward 100%, which is odd considering his place on the team. There you go on the Glenn Morati fan feedback text line, 960-960. Let's tell you about tonight's game. Welcome to the Steinberg Show. He's Will. I'm Pat. Happy Tuesday. Here is what tonight's lineup looks like. Calgary and Philadelphia, 7 o'clock here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. The Flames will keep Monaghan between Gaudreau and Lindholm. That's the one line that stays the same. Uh, back reunited to start a game. Backlund, Froelich, and Kachuk. You've got Derek Ryan between Milan Lucic and Andrew Mangiapane tonight. And Mark Jankowski playing with Sam Bennett and Austin Zarnick. That's how things will start. Back end, same as it was in San Jose. Giordano Brody, Hannafin Hamannick, and Shillington Anderson. David Riddick gets the start in net for the Flames. 
teams. He'll go head-to-head with Brian Elliott, who gets the start in net for the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, tonight's Elliot. game brought to you by Country Hills Toyota. Elliott gets the start in net tonight. Um, hey, it's been a uh, it's been a good start to the season for the Flyers, but Brian Elliott has not been a part of it as of yet. This is his first start of the year. Carter Hart, two zero and one, nine thirty eight save percentage. It's too bad I wanted to see Hart to be honest. Pick. I I I'm actually a little choked that we're not seeing Carter Hart too. How dare they not start Carter Hart? But you know, I think that from a Flyers perspective, you're like on the road and he's facing his former team. Well, this is a good spot to give Elliott his first start. I can understand, but yeah. I'm going to talk to uh, Elaine Vigneault and be like, why didn't you start Carter Hart? We wanted to see him here. I'll have a chat with him a little bit later on. Um, okay, six weeks in. A little one-on-one with the, the coach? Yeah, yeah, he's going to come in here for an hour, a full hour before the game. Wow. Me and, me and A.V. are Flames really warm-up. Hey, Lute. Lute's taking a back Yeah, seat. sorry, Lou. Uh, it's going to be Elaine Vigneault hosting. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't have the coach tonight, so he's, he's all in. Exactly. Uh, six weeks into the season now for uh, the 2019 NFL season. A little bit of a controversial game last night. Packers win 23-22 on Monday Night Football. But let's take a look at the Week 7 waiver wire, uh, something Will and I have been doing the last uh, number of weeks on Tuesdays. And uh, I've got I've got a few targets. We're getting into the stretch of the season in fantasy football where you've got injury worries, and now all of a sudden if you've got injury worries, you're also running into bye weeks. So now is when you really have to do a good job on the waiver wire and you really have to be managing your team properly. Um, so I'll, I'll throw out a couple of names. Uh, see, Will, Will will throw out some names as well, see what we think. Here is my number one pickup for the week, and this is not just uh, a week seven specific pickup, but I think if you are starting to run into bye week issues at running back or if you've got some guys who are on the injured side of things at running back, Alexander Madison in Minnesota is my number one pickup of the week. Right now, there's there's no doubt about it that Dalvin Cook is still the number one running back in Minnesota, but go take a look at what happened this past week. It was Madison who outgained Cook, and at the very worst right now, I think Madison's a, a high-end handcuff running back, and I think he's worth a pickup. He's only owned in 19% of Yahoo leagues right now. He's getting more and more used in that offense, and there's a lot of talent there, and that's not just because he's a former Boise State guy. Uh, to me, that's my number one pickup for Week 7. Was he a good and, Bronco? And I, what's that? Was he a good Bronco? He was a good Bronco, too. Uh, Madison, to me, I think can can do a lot of things on a team, especially if you're in a deep league. He could be a real nice pickup for you this week. Yeah, I, I certainly think I would put him in that category. Another running back I'm looking at just based on percentage of being owned. I know a couple of weeks ago he was knocked out in that first play of the game. But um, look out at uh, Jamal Williams, the running back in Green Bay. Yeah, I know it's a, a committee with him and Aaron Jones, but he's great in the uh, passing offense. Um, you know, he he led the Packers uh, against the Lions. You know, five targets, four receptions, thirty-two yards. Also had fourteen carries for one hundred and four yards rushing. So uh, he ended up out touching Jones in that game, and he's only owned in fourteen percent of leagues right now. Jamal Williams is the guy I'm looking at if you need some running back help with your bye week situation upcoming. Yep, I, I like that one. Um and you know, I don't I don't mind the Jamal pick at all. He's he's been thrown out there by a number of different experts and, and I think there's something to it as well. Again, uh he's he's a solid handcuff for you and if you're playing in a deep league 
those guys can be valuable. If you if you're in a deep league where you know you've got 14 teams and you've got a flex spot and you know you're you're scraping the bottom of the barrel a lot of times when trying to fill out that flex and you know maybe you don't have a lot of depth at receiver. Guys like Jamal, guys like uh, Latavius Murray, Chase Murray, um, and and obviously the guy that I'm into, Madison. Th- those are all really solid pickups that can help you a lot. Those extra one or two points that you might get from those guys who play as opposed to clear number two or three depth chart running backs on other teams can be really valuable. So uh, the other guy that I'm really interested in this week uh, is is a good plug-and-play receiver, especially when you're coming into bye weeks, and that's Cole Beasley in Buffalo. I know the, the Bills are not the sexiest offensive team right now, but owned in just over 20% of Yahoo leagues. Right now, Josh Allen is looking for Beasley a lot, and he's finding him. He's getting targeted a lot. There's not a lot of touchdown threat there, but again, if you're looking for a decent, especially in a PPR league, but even standard, if you're looking for a decent plug-and-play option, might be able to get you seven or eight points on on eight or nine targets. I think Cole Beasley's a real nice pickup. Should be available in your league for Week 7. If you're in a two-quarterback league or a one-quarterback league with a bye week upcoming, I know this will sound very homerish, but Sam Darnold was impressive on Sunday good, against the Cowboys. Boys, 23 of 32, 338 yards, two touchdowns, and the next two weeks, not the greatest, but six juicy matchups in a row from weeks 9 to 14, Miami, the Giants, Washington, Oakland, Cincy, and Miami. So there is certainly some spots to plug in Sam Darnold. Again, if you're in a two-quarterback league, you're in a great spot to pick him up. He's owned in just 16% of leagues right now. And sticking with the Jets, if you lost Will Disley to that torn Achilles, which I did, uh, he looked like he was just about to pick up his spot. uh, I've mentioned him a couple of times to, to stash, but if you're looking at Chris Herndon, who might not be back in Week 7 with that hamstring issue, but he's worth a stash if you've got some roster um, depth there. Also look at Dawson Knox in Buffalo. As you mentioned, the offense not super sexy, but he's put two together uh, performances back-to-back together, and he's on the streaming radar right now. Could come back to earth, uh, but we'll see. Uh, those are some tight end names, especially if you uh, were in the category of losing Will, Will Disley. Yeah, I lost Disley in two leagues. Feel awful for the guy too. That yeah, is two both legs, different injuries. different legs each time. Torn patella and now a torn Achilles. Yeah. Patella tendon and and now an Achilles tendon in the other leg. Like those are two career threatening injuries back to back years. And in both cases, he looked like he was just starting to hit strides. So I feel awful for the guy. Uh, and uh, definitely big losses to a lot of fantasy rosters uh, if you have been using Disley this year. Okay, uh, that's. Your week seven waiver wire look as uh, we talk a little fantasy football on a Tuesday afternoon. The first Battle of Alberta in the NHL isn't until after Christmas, December 27th to be exact, the first time the Flames and the Oilers play this year. And uh, we're making a little bit of an event out of it. We're hooking up with Wild Rose Brewery and our friends at New West Travel, and we're going on a Battle of Alberta road trip. We're heading up to Edmonton, Rogers Place. We're going to be staying at the JW Marriott there, and we're going to be partying as we get set for the Flames and the Oilers. Here's what your ticket includes. 
if uh, you are so inclined. Round Trip Motor Coach, Calgary to Edmonton. Breakfast free parking at Wild Rose prior to leaving here. One night at the brand new JW Marriott Ice District right next to Rogers Place. Welcome reception with Steinberg and Nult. That's what it says, Steinberg. Uh, we got lower bowl seats to the game. Uh, you'll be sitting together, and uh, we're doing a live broadcast there as well. Go to newwesttravel.com to purchase your package today. It's all brought to you by Wild Rose Brewery, brewing quality craft beer in Calgary that fuels the hardworking Albertan. Wild Rose Brewery, branded with character. Well, some good and some bad on a three-game road trip for the Flames. My biggest question right now, we already talked about it, the bottom six forwards. We'll delve a little deeper into that with Ryan Pike from Flames Nation next on the Steinberg Show, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The Steinberg Show, brought to you by Fifth Avenue Auto House. It's Volksfest. Purchase an Atlas and you can get up to $4,000 bonus cash and no charge on winter tires. FifthAvVW.com. Game day for the Calgary Flames. Welcome back to the Scotiabank Saddledome and welcome back to the Steinberg Show. Pat Steinberg along with you from our Better Business Bureau Hot Stove Lounge. First and only visit to the Saddledome this season for the Philadelphia Flyers. From a Calgary perspective, they're hoping to snap a two-game skid. Let's talk a little more Flames with our buddy Ryan Pike from FlamesNation.ca. Joins us every week. Mr. Pike, one and two on a three-game road trip for the Flames. Uh, your overall impressions and observations from the last three games? Well, I think it was very much like the their season as a whole so far. I, you know, I think Rasmus Anderson said it after uh, the, the game they played in uh, Vegas. They haven't really played a, uh, a cohesive, solid 60 minutes yet. It's sort of, you know, I think a lot of the games are basically 2019-20 uh, Flames hockey in the sense of, you know, early penalties, early deficits, playing from behind, figuring out ways to get in their own way. Like, you know, you, you can make an argument in any of those three games that the Flames is much to discourage themselves as their opponent did. And, you know, eventually it's got to swing the other way because otherwise it's going to be a long season. Yeah, it was it was better in San Jose, I would suggest. I mean, they they played a whole lot better. They looked a whole lot more structured, and they did it against a pretty good pretty good opponent. I, I thought the San Jose game compared to even the Dallas game, and certainly the game in Las Vegas, I thought that was a step forward for them. Yeah, and, and I think I think you know anyone who's watched this team over the last. You can even go back to 2013, the last five, six years of, of this team. They tend to be pretty good on the back end of back-to-backs, at least it's simplifying their game because, you know, there's the fatigue factor, there's the travel factor, there's just the fact that, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, video available to the opposition on what their tendencies are. And I think they tend to just play more direct and more simple on the back ends of back-to-backs simply out of necessity. And it turned out to turn it be a pretty good game plan against the Sharks because I think they ended up giving themselves a chance to win for the most part because they played so simply. The... The, the starts of games have been hard to wrap your head around. They've, they've gotten off to some really good starts. They've gotten off to some really horrid starts. I think the when we were talking off the air, and the word you used was uh, a lot of uneven starts so far this season. Yeah, you know, they've had uh, penalties in the first minute of, uh, of games. I think three or four of the first six games. They've given up the first goal, five of the first six. But you can even, you know, if you look at their body of work in general and just don't pay attention to the score, they haven't been terrible in the first. It's just that in the first five minutes, they seem to, you know, sort of get caught unawares by the pace. They tend to, you know, overcrack to make, you know, a few, you know, rambunctious penalties here and there. And it ends up, you know, them digging themselves a hole just through their own efforts. So I think, 
you know, I think in the first period, they've lacked composure in the first 10 minutes. And I think that's where the unevenness has come from. But, you know, if you can start them, you know, if you can somehow convince them to start the game to the 10 minute mark or the first instead of the zero minute mark, they're usually pretty good in the back half. Mm hmm. Ryan Pikes with us from FlamesNation.ca. Flames Flyers tonight at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Let's get into some of the, the real interesting stuff, and, and we'll start with Mark Jankowski, who gets back in the lineup tonight. Your your observations on Jankowski after being a healthy scratch on Sunday? I'm not. I, I feel bad for Jankowski because, you know, to a certain extent, him and Brody, and to a lesser extent, Michael Froelich, those are three guys that know they were traded. You know, the with with Frolik, they had the, the the move with Minnesota at the trade deadline that didn't get consummated. Uh, there were rumblings about a Frolik move to New Jersey that didn't at the draft that didn't come come to fruition. And then you know there was the very publicized uh, Toronto swap that would have sent Brody and uh, and Jankowski to Toronto if not for Nazem Kadri deciding he'd rather stay in Toronto for the time being. Uh, so it's kind of awkward in the sense that you know you know that the team is sort of looking at other options, but at this point. You know, Jankowski is maybe their fourth best center. He's he's definitely not the same level as Monaghan or or uh, Backlund. I don't think that's a, a, a controversial statement. But you know, Derek Ryan has been you know he's been useful on both sides of the special teams units. He's been useful at five on five. He's one of those guys that you can pretty much put Derek Ryan with you know any combination of random wingers, even Milan Lucic, and he'll end up making them look pretty good uh, depending how they're used. Whereas Jankowski, he, he's at the point now where, you know, he, he's what, 25, 26. He's, he is what he's going to be. He's pretty much, you know, as much of a finished product as a player can be at that age. And he has, he has some rough edges of his game. He reminds me in a lot of ways of Joel Colborn where, you know, he's big, but he doesn't play particularly big or mean. And, you know, he, he can get into the front of the net, but he's not terribly tough to sort of shove out of the way and move around. So he, he's sort of a perpetual middleweight in a way because he's not really terrible at anything, but he's not really impeccably great at anything. You know, when, when Backlund was, you know, three, four, five years younger than he is now, I think Backlund sort of had, you know, things that made people frustrated about his game too. But he also would had those, you know, those wonderful flashes of defensive brilliance or occasional offensive brilliance where you could point to them and say, well, yeah, you know, you got to put up with the stuff you don't like because that he can do that kind of stuff too. And I think the challenge with Jankowski is he doesn't really have those really, you know, heartwarming, you know, fist pumping great moments in games as frequently. Mm -hmm. So you can point to them and go, that's why you put up with it. Well, and the other thing is, I, I just feel like, you know, I, I don't think you're wrong when it comes to the, the psyche part. I mean, you know, this guy might have been traded and, and he was part of a rumored trade. I, I can't imagine that's an easy thing to handle. But at the same time, even organizationally, there are guys who are pushing from the back. There's back pressure from Quine. There's back pressure from Dubé. And now he's been a healthy scratch. Like, I, I think I think the message would be, okay, I, I know that it hasn't been the greatest start. We need more from you, and it's time now. Like, if there's ever a time for him to, to wake up and start being more of an impact player, now would be it. And honestly, you can make a case. If you look at, you know, uh, after the last preseason game when everyone was hurt, uh, you know, uh, Bill Peters had to use a bunch of different guys with different looks on on uh, center. And, you know, two out of the six of them that he mentioned were, were right-shot guys. So if you're one of the four lefties, you better be bringing something interesting to the table, something that sort of gives you some value add other than just being a 
a lefty. And, you know, the guys you mentioned, I, I, I'd also add in Glenn Godden, who's had, you know, three points in four games with Stockton. He's a righty. He can play up the middle and he can play on either wing. And just the fact that, you know, Jankowski is just sort of a center. He can't really play the wing or he hasn't really played the wing at, in uh, in at pro Really, he hasn't played the wing since his for, for his freshman year at Providence College. So, in about six years, he hasn't really done much but center. And if he's not a great NHL center, then you'd have to sort of ask yourselves, well, what is he then? Because when you have guys like Dubé and like Godin and like Klein who can come in and sort of play all over the place, you lose a bit of versatility by having Jankowski on the roster. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very very true. And I'm I'm curious to see where they go with this going forward. I'm also just overall curious what they're going to do with this bottom six because last year, Mr. Pike, that was one of their strengths, the fact that this is a very deep team at forward and they could present matchup tr- problems for other teams. That has not been the case through six games. This bottom six has a lot of different puzzle pieces and, and the coaching staff has had some issues trying to figure out where those puzzle pieces fit. And I remember last year the conversations we had where, you know, one of the reasons why Michael Froelich sort of slid down the rotation a bit was because, you know, they wanted, they had Sam Bennett who was playing really well on the third line and he was pushing for more minutes and they wanted to move him in. Whereas this year, you know, they've tried Bennett in that spot and he's been yeah, okay. You know, and arguably you can make the case that, you know, Andrew Mangiapane has been better than, than uh, Bennett at times in terms of what they want from him and how, and sort of making differences on the ice. At the very least, he's been better at him and not taking weird penalties at bad times. So I think I think it's the challenge because I think if you're these guys, if you're looking at your roster heading into the season, you probably look at your 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 you know your top line's pretty well set. You look at your three M line as a strength, and then you're probably thinking, well, you know that that third line potentially could have you know two guys in in Bennett and Manjupani who could factor into the top six. So potentially that almost makes it you know a top nine worthy top six because you can you know do a bit of mixing and matching. But you know to this point. Neither of them really elevated the third line when they're there to the degree which you'd want to say, oh, move them up. So I, I think it's – they have a challenge because they have basically seven guys who, you know, they hope to get more out of and they haven't gotten it yet. You know, Toby Reeder's been in and out. Austin Zarnick's been in and out. Jankowski's been in and out. And I think maybe they just, you know, keep rotating and mixing and matching until something clicks because at this point, you know, they're pretty – they pretty much got their hands tied in terms of how they can compose their roster right now. So they sort of have to either learn to live with it or figure out a way around it. Your, uh, just your impressions to date, I know it's only six games, but your impressions of Milan Lucic. Uh, he's, he's been fine. I, uh, you know, the, the the folks at Oilers Nation have been beaking me uh, in my DMs, my email for basically the entire season based on the success of James Neal. And, you know, I think, let's be honest, Neil wasn't going to be in the top six in Calgary simply because, you know, that's just not his skill set based on, you know, based on the depth the Flames have on the wing and based on the skill set Neil has and doesn't have, he probably wouldn't have been up there. He'd been on the third line. Uh, here, Lucic has been sort of playing on the third and the fourth line. He's, you know, he, I don't think it's mean to say that, you know, his foot speed isn't exactly, you know, super fast. He's, he's never going to be, you know, confused with uh, Andrew Mangiapane or Johnny Gaudreau, but, you know, he, he gets there. He's you know not really out of position, but I just think when he, you know, when he gets the puck, he seems to be needing an extra half second to sort of process, okay, what do I do with this now? And I think 
maybe that'll come as he gets more reps. He's definitely held the puck with Calgary more than he did with Edmonton uh, his last season. So I think maybe it's just a sense of he needs to sort of get the reps in and sort of knock the cobwebs loose because, you know, the puck's getting to him. He's in the position where the pucks will go to, and he's in a position to be open for passes and whatnot. But he just seems doesn't really seem to have that extra second of time he needs to get that shot off. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, my man. It's a pleasure as always. Enjoy the game tonight against the Flyers. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Pike. We get to see the return of uh, Forever Aflame Chris Stewart. Yeah, that's right. He just signed a new contract and Forever Aflame Brian Elliott as well. Ooh, uh, I, I'm really excited for the Brian Elliott video package. I'm sure that we'll, I, I think we'll probably get two one minute packages, one for each guy. They can split one. <laughs> Even then, that might be a little much. Thank you, Pike. See you, man. That is Ryan Pike of FlamesNation.ca on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Same secret recipe since 1975 for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344 and find them at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. This is the Steinberg Show on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The Steinberg Show brought to you by Fifth Avenue Auto House. It's Volksfest. Purchase a Tiguan and you can get up to $2,500 cash purchase bonus and no charge on winter tires. FifthAvVW.com. Time to turn up the heat. These are three burning questions on the Steinberg Show. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, wrapping things up on a Tuesday edition of the program. Willie, what do we got on our three burning questions today? Well, it certainly has been a while since we have spoken, thanks to the Thanksgiving weekend, Mr. Steinberg. And a lot of talk this morning. You were there at practice. You were there in the scrums. A lot of talk, and you watched the game certainly in great detail on Sunday but plenty of discussion about uh, the fact that the Flames did play a little bit better Sunday in San Jose. Despite the score, a lot of players felt they could build off of that game. Uh, so all that being said, I know that the box score maybe not as kind to him, but you have been talking a lot about Cam Talbot leading into this season. 17 days, he had to wait to make his debut, but what did you make of Cam Talbot's Flames debut Sunday? Yeah, I thought Talbot was just fine. I thought it was, and I know that he'll be looking at an 850 save percentage and say, I don't like that, but I thought he was just fine because I, I, I look at the goals that went in. It's tough to really put any of them on him. I mean, you got a two-on-one. The only one that I maybe didn't love was the 3-1 goal, and it came at a bad time. I think he overcommitted a little bit and gave Hurdle a little bit too much to shoot on on the other side, but it's still a two-on-one with Couture and Hurdle coming down on you shorthanded. I mean, that, that one, as much as that was the one that you could maybe question a little bit, it's not it still wasn't a bad goal per se. And the other two, you've got the the one that goes off the skate in the crease and the ridiculous shot from LeBanc. I mean, I, I thought that Talbot gave him an opportunity to win, made some big stops in there. And, and if I'm the Flames, I'm encouraged with what I saw. It, it makes it so that I can continue to go down the same road I would have gone down. I can continue to be confident that when it's time to go away from Riddick, whether it be because of play or fatigue or plan, that you can just go back to Talbot. So I thought it was an encouraging first start for Talbot in the Flames uniform. Saturday at McMahon, or sorry, Friday at McMahon, it was a victory for the Calgary Stampeders, a big one over the Riders in 
a very entertaining game, 30 to 28, mm-hmm. the final. That's a big win for Calgary. It's the overtake first place right now. Uh, they are at 10 and 5, as are the Riders. The Riders have BC this week, then a home and home against the Eskimos. The Stampeders have a home and home with Winnipeg, and then a game against BC. And the Bombers have a bye the final week of the year after playing Calgary in back to back games. Patty, how crucial is home field for Calgary and or Saskatchewan when it comes to that West final? Well, I mean, I, I think that I think that home field is definitely a big thing for the Stampeders. Uh, I, I just and I it's not necessarily saying that uh, I don't think it's big for the Riders, but look, I mean, we've seen Saskatchewan come into McMahon and, and win regular season and playoff games before. I think I think it's more important for the Stampeders to have home field than it is for the Riders if those two were to meet. The interesting thing is. Where does Winnipeg fit in this whole thing? Where does where do the Bombers fit in these two games they play against the Stampeders? How does that shape things? And the other question is, where do they fit come the postseason? Because they're going to be one of the three West Division teams. They've still got a chance to host a game, but even if they finish third in the West, you know they'll be playing either Calgary or Saskatchewan in the West Division semis. So. I, I do think home ice, home ice. I do think home field is big for the Stampeders, and right now I think getting that bye week and avoiding having to play one of Winnipeg or Saskatchewan uh, in the West semi and only having to play one of those two teams that that's that's going to be huge. I I feel like getting that West Division bye and getting that number one spot more important this year than it has been maybe in some other years. Quick follow up: You look at those two remaining schedules, and all due respect to Winnipeg, who's certainly still has a chance to win, but they need a lot of things to go their way. Calgary's got the home-and-home with Winnipeg. Then they finish off the final week of the year with BC. The Riders have BC now home-and-home with the Eskimos with no starting quarterback. All due respect to Mr. Kilgore. Logan Kilgore. Whose schedule do you like better? Uh, I I think Saskatchewan's got the better schedule um, because I do think a home-and-home with Winnipeg is difficult uh, and more difficult than a home-and-home with Edmonton. Both have got BC. Those should be gimmies uh, with Mike Riley done for the year. But I would say I like Saskatchewan's schedule a little bit better than I like Calgary's. Final quick one before we get to uh, Pinder and Steinberg just after the 2 o'clock hour here. I know you got Jason Lockenfora coming up in about 30 minutes' time. Very curious to hear what he has to say. But, Patty, after another game last night where the officials were front and center, we don't like to criticize them too harshly, but uh, two hands-to-the-face call that keep that drive alive, allow the Packers to win that. Yeah, especially the second one. The first one, uh, okay, maybe. Second one was just awful. The Packers are allowed to keep that drive alive. Mason Crosby hits the game winner as time expires. But, Patty, what can the NFL do? Like, is there any discipline they can hand down on officials? Because uh, we see it all the time. Kickers get cut. uh, Players get cut. Uh, Never seems to happen with the officials. And yet, you know, this goes all the way back to last year's NFC Championship game. Yeah, it's uh, it's that was bad. And it's funny because. There have been a lot of games where it seems like the Detroit Lions end up on the other side of those awful calls, and there were a couple very of really Lions. bad ones. It was very Lions. Uh, they they deserve a little bit better than 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. I think Detroit's one of those sleeper teams that has played better than their record would suggest on paper. Um, 
But yeah, that was bad, and and I think it just it it goes back to the fact that that league has some work to do when it comes to the quality of officiating. I don't think there's any doubt about it right now. So it was uh, it was definitely tough to watch. I felt bad for the Lions because you get one of those calls, it's tough to bounce back from. You get two of those calls, good luck. So yeah, it was it was tough to watch. I don't really know what you do, but it was. Uh, I'll say this: all of the criticism that has been spewing out of mouths over the last 24 hours or so is very, very warranted and valid. And we'll hear what Jason Lockenfora has to say in about 29 minutes' time. Patty, there's three burning questions. Uh, that'll do it for the Steinberg Show. Don't forget to tune in after 5 o'clock tonight inside the NHL with Mr. Pinder. Uh, all brought to you by Calgary Co-op at Calgary Co-op Gas Stations. Members can earn $0.08 cents per liter. Guaranteed fill up at your local Calgary Co-op Gas Station and start earning. A three-game road trip in the books. The Flames off to a rather mediocre start to the season. We'll delve into why when Pinder and Steinberg kicks off in a couple minutes time from the Better Business Bureau. Hot Stove Lounge at the Saddle Dome. You're locked on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This Steinberg Show brought to you by Fifth Avenue Auto House. It's Volksfest. Purchase a Tiguan and you can get up to $2,500 cash purchase bonus and no charge on winter tires. FifthAvVW.com.